Thank you, Deacon Jay, for that prayer. And good morning, everybody. Uh, happy Mother's Day uh, to you. Uh, can we actually begin this way? I recognize a lot of moms, uh, and I imagine a lot of you do have your moms as well, uh, wherever they may be, even joining online with us. Can we give a round of applause to all of our moms today? Yeah, let's, let's uh, celebrate them. Celebrate them today. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I, I, I wore pink for our moms. You know what I'm saying? I, I dress up for moms, and so happy Mother's Day. This is truly a happy day. Uh, I do recognize, actually, for some of you, perhaps uh, you recently lost your mom, or that maybe your mom is getting older, uh, and she is getting sick, uh, or less able in her life. Uh, for others, perhaps you may have never known your mom uh, for different reasons, and uh, for even some of you are uh, trying to be mothers, but for a different reason are unable to. Uh, I, I recognize all of that, uh, and our hearts and prayers are, are for you. Um, we are continuing the series on the book of First Peter, uh, and uh, in the morning, the same thing happened. As soon as I said First Peter, all of you Bible lovers started to look at your phones or your Bibles. Please don't do that for one minute, okay? <laughs> I'll tell you when, all right? Yes, I'll tell you when, okay? It's my time now. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Laura, sorry. It's, it's his time now, right? Um, I do want to just give you a little context because we started this series a few weeks ago and Pastor Steve did go over some background information. But when we read the text of God, it's always important to understand what the context is. And so uh, if I can briefly go over with you the little bit of background information on the book of 1 Peter. This letter was written around 62-63 AD uh, by Peter, uh, and it was written in the city of Rome. And at this time, the Roman Empire was ruled by the emperor named Nero. You might recognize his name. He was an infamous evil uh, emperor. And Peter wrote this letter to the areas and the churches and the Christians of what is now known as modern-day Turkey. And he wrote this just for one purpose, and that purpose was to encourage the church to endure suffering and persecution by clinging on to God all the more. Uh, you see, uh, around 59 AD, Nero actually lit up uh, and burned down his own city of Rome. Uh, scholars say that about half of the city burned down, and he had famously blamed it on Christians. And so these Christians were facing persecution, not only from the government, but just from their neighbors. A lot of harassment and hostility. It wasn't the greatest time to be a Christian. It was rather a difficult time to be a follower of Christ. And Peter writes this letter to encourage them. And this letter can be divided into two parts. First part, chapter 1 through middle of chapter 2 or so, verse 10 or ish. It's talking about who we are as Christians, our identity as exiles, people who have been called to salvation of the afterlife so that our suffering in this life is worth it. And then in the second half, beginning around half of, again, chapter 2, verse 11 or so, it's talking about how to, how to live as exiles in this world that is hostile to us. And it's talking about suffering in particular as something that purifies us, something that clarifies our mission, which is to witness Christ to this world that is not our hope. And this is all where we get our sermon series title from, which is Exiles, Hope in This World That Is Not our home. So uh, that is the context of what we're about to read. And if you would now look at your apps and open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses are 13 through 25. The text today is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. 
And please let me read the word of God for you. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And lastly, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, we give this time to you. We pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit and that you would speak to us, God. Teach us today uh, to suffer for uh, others, as that's exactly what you have done for us. And we pray in your name, amen. Uh, since this is Mother's Day, I want to talk to you a little bit about my mom and just a little warning, you know, uh, it's a real sensitive topic for me. I get a little emotional when I talk about my mom. Uh, she, she's alive and well. Um, she's local too, actually. I live in Cerritos. She lives in uh, Placentia. And we see each other about once a month. In fact, last time I saw her was last night, um, but, but I want to tell you a little story about when I met her two couple weeks ago, and she had come over, um, and on the outside, it seems kind of good, but I have to confess to you, in the heart of hearts, um, my, my relationship with my mom, I, I wouldn't say it's the greatest. Uh, I, I would say that where I am with her is the love that I want to have for her in my mind isn't necessarily the love that I have for her in my heart if that makes sense. Uh, and, and I get easily triggered by her. Like I have to pray before, when she calls me before I answer her phone. I don't think she knows that. Uh, when she comes over, like I have to like be ready, you know, like be ready in my heart, you know, because my mom is a force of nature. She, she's, yeah, she's, she's awesome. Uh, but, you know, she came over uh, and I have this, um, we had a little incident over a trash can. That's right, I'm, I'm hopeless. Uh, we had an incident over a trash can. And I have this one of these uh, auto trash cans where if you stand in front of the trash can, the lid opens up, right? And you give it a few seconds and it closes down. And one thing about my mom is that she's a fast woman, all right? She's on the go, okay? Uh, she's one of those people that takes off her seatbelt before a car comes to a full stop. Do you have any friends like that? Tell them not to do that anymore. Like that's dangerous, you know? But my mom, she does that, she's a go-getter. And she stood in front of my trash can, and it opened up. She dropped the trash inside, and before waiting for it to close down, she forced it down, and I'm so annoyed. And I'm, like, sitting at the table, like, on my computer, like, glancing at her eye, like, give her the stink eye, you know? 
And thank God I didn't say anything. I tried to humble myself, you know, because I'm a pastor and everything. So I, I humble myself and I didn't say anything. And two minutes later, she does it again. She stands in front, opens up, put, drops it in, and boom, closes down. I'm like, Mom, that's auto. <laughs> She's like, oh, you're right. You know, I'm like, that's right, you know. One minute again, I tell you not, I kid you not. She does it again the third time. I'm like, Mom, dude, what's wrong with you? You know, that's auto. You're going to break it. Are you going to buy it for me? I didn't yell at her, okay? I just want you to know I didn't yell at her. But, but the frustration and, and the disrespect that, that, I, that happened so quickly in my heart, I, I was kind of embarrassed, you know? Like, I, I, I felt guilty afterwards. I thought, man, that's my mom. <laughs> Couldn't I have just let it go? It wasn't always like this, but, you know, growing up, I... I started to have some resentment and frustration toward her. I mean, you know, I wasn't the best son. And I know all sons humbly say that, but no, really, I, I wasn't a good son, okay? I was a bad kid, all right? I caused her a lot of problems. And so I'm sure that the resentment and frustration is equally in her heart, maybe if not more. But, you know, of course, her being my mom, she does such a good job at loving me, but I'm her son, and so I don't do a good job for her, right? And, and I think... What started out as, as, you know, those kind of resentment and frustration being built up, I recognized the last like five years so or so uh, have getting hardened. Like my heart, I feel it getting hardened towards her. And I think it's because I now recognize that in a way I'm, I'm burdened or I'm even suffering because of her or for her sake. Case, for example, uh, my parents are small business owners or they're no longer small business owners. But, you know, they always had a hard time with money. And, and, and instead of being thankful that I can provide for her in times of need, I get bitter and upset. Man, like, I have to help you out again? Like, I could, you know, invest that money into something or just hold it in my bank account so that I just feel safer and better about where I'm at. Or buy my daughter a nicer toy or maybe get a nicer car next year. But, but instead, I'm using this for you, mom. And, and I don't... I'm not proud of it. I get upset. Or I recognize that they started to depend on me more emotionally. Uh, my parents are, I come from a big pastor's family and I'm ethnically Korean and my parents are immigrants. They don't speak English. And when you're a part of a Korean church, what happens is you can't be part of a pastor's family and have close friends at church because they don't want to have a relationship with the pastor where their personal and private lives are known well to them. And so I realized that actually my parents in their own social network, they're ostracized. And they started to depend on me more. When they're upset, they call me, they want to talk to me, and they want to process things with me. And me, I don't have time for that. You know, I'm a pastor. My life is full of problems. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need your drama, you know? But, but they come to me, and I'm an only child too. So I'm like, oh, man, like, is there someone else? No, there's no one else, you know? And practically, right, they're in their 60s. Um, hospital trips are more frequent. Doctor visits are more frequent. And their body is just not the same. And I have to drive them to places. I have to translate for them. I have to set up emails for them, paying their bills. And all of these things feel a great burden to me now. And in a way, I'm, I'm suffering for them. And that, that fuels the fire of my resentment, you know. In our text today, let me... Um, 
I don't know why, but I closed it up, so excuse me while I, uh, uh, here we go. In our text today, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, it actually starts out by giving us two really strange commandments. Two really strange commandments. But I believe that these commandments, in the end, boil down to suffering for the sake of Jesus, who loves enemies. These two commandments are there to give us examples of what it's like to live as exiles who suffer for the sake of Jesus, who loves enemies. Here's what I mean. Verses 13 through 17 is talking about submitting to the Roman government. And this is not just casual submission. This isn't just to, oh, tolerate them. Yeah, just whatever. Do what they say and then just kind of turn around and do your thing. Verse 17 actually says, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. And this emperor, if you remember what I said in the beginning, is none other than Nero. The very person who burned up his own city and blamed it on Christians so that the suffering and persecution, the hostility and harassment that these churches were facing was caused by this guy. So much so that Apostle Peter wrote this letter to endure and help encourage the church. And it is that very person Peter is saying, honor this guy, honor him. And then the second commandment, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. And servants is a little bit of a euphemism. What this is talking about is slaves. Israelites were oppressed by the Romans then. They were slaves. And not all slave owners were the good and gentle ones that is mentioned in verse 18. Some of them were the unjust ones, again, as mentioned. And these unjust ones would not only oppress them vocationally, but spiritually that these Israelite people would at times be forced to worship gods of Romans, idols and false gods. They were, false, they were forced to worship. It is these slave owners, not just the gentle and good ones, that Peter says to submit to. I mean, it's quite extreme of examples that the Bible is giving here. It's not to justify these type of suffering because let me tell you, We in the United States have a painful history of slavery and oppression, in particular towards African Americans, right? And I want to explicitly condemn that. I I don't want, I don't condone it. And unfortunately, in American history, slave owners, Christian slave owners, have used verses like this to oppress other people. And that is not what this text is trying to say. Rather, the text is using these things as examples, because that's what Jesus has done, to love enemies. Because Christian life is ultimately about spiritual salvation, but that spiritual salvation must be expressed in enemy love. Check out what Peter is calling enemy love in this text today. In verse 15, it says, for this is the Will of God. Loving your enemy is not an option. It's not something that spiritually mature people only do. But it's a will of God. It's the will of God. In verse 16, it says, live as people who are free. And this freedom to love enemies is to live as servants of God. And in verse 19, For enemy love is a gracious thing when mindful of God. You're being mindful of God. 
When you enemy love, you're being mindful of God. And being mindful of God sounds a little weak. It sounds like, oh, I can just be mindful of God and just kind of walk away and do my thing. The original language means putting your conscience towards God. Loving your enemies is not an option, but it's about putting your conscience, who you are and the inside towards God. It seems to me that God's people are not to passively tolerate our enemies, but to actively love on them. And that's what it means to live as exiles in this world. The big question is how? I think we have all heard about Jesus' great love and enemy love, but how do we do that? How do we love someone that has wronged us? How do we love someone that has hurt us, that we're resentful towards, that continues to give us difficulty? Well, the answer is actually simple and difficult at the same time. The answer is to do it because Jesus did it for you. Do it because Jesus did it for you. Read with me from verse 21. It says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It says, do this because Christ did the same thing for you. Be like Jesus and do what Jesus has done. In verse 23, it says, Jesus didn't retaliate when he suffered, but rather put his trust in God who is the righteous judge. And in verse 24, he bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live into righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. I want to pause here and note a couple of assumptions that this verse makes. Because when we say he died so that we were able to live into righteousness, what we're meaning is first that if he didn't suffer and die for us, that we could not live into righteousness. That if Jesus didn't suffer, then we cannot be righteous. And second assumption, that his wounds have healed us, meaning what theologians call positional righteousness. I don't know if you have heard of that term, positional righteousness. If you ever wondered why Christians continue to sin and do evil, even after accepting Christ, well, the righteousness that we're given is not fully in our heart, but it's one of positional. It's as if, if you were in the heavenly courts and Jesus is your lawyer and God the, God the Father is the judge and Jesus defends us to be innocent. And God, because of his defense, declares us innocent even though we really have been guilty. It's as if we owe infinite amount of money to God and Jesus writes God a blank check and the Heavenly Father accepts the check and forgives the past, present, and future debt that we owe towards God. This is what we mean by positional righteousness. And because we have been declared and labeled righteous, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in our hearts and gives us faith and desire towards God. That's the assumption. In other words, what verse 25 calls as our souls have returned to the overseer and the shepherd. And all this because Jesus has suffered for us. That begs the question, then who are we? If Jesus has suffered for you and me, then who are we? Well, obviously, 
our series is on exiles. We're exiles, right? We're people who are not from this world, in the world, but not of it, as you probably have heard. But even before that, when we examine the Bible, Romans 5.10 tells us that we were enemies of God. Enemies. I unfortunately have run into many Christians who think that we were somehow neutral with God before meeting Christ. And even worse at times, somehow that we were entitled for God's love. That if God is so loving, of course he should love me. Yeah, I get to go do what I want. Yeah, of course, it's on God. No, the Bible says that we were enemies with God. That we weren't supposed to be loved by him. That we were to be hated. That we were destined for death. But it is precisely because we were his enemies, God, in his great love and mercy, came and sent his son so that he may die, that we may live into righteousness. That we were enemies. We were the very people that Christ suffered for. And therefore, we are told that we need to do the same. And I wonder, church, can you think about the people that you love in your life? Who are they? Why do you love them? Is it because they offer you something? Is it because you have a history with them? Is it because they're good looking or they have a lot of money? I don't know. And I'm not saying those things are bad in itself. But what our text is teaching us today is that Christians loving people who love us back fall short of what Jesus has done for us. That we are called to enemy love. That's right. People who hate us. An enemy is such a strong term, right? But can I ask you to think about that coworker who betrays you or that fails your expectations, that annoying person in your office that you're just putting up with because you're making a living? Perhaps it's your supervisor. Perhaps it's somebody that you supervise over that has been underperforming. Maybe it's somebody within your own family like it is with me or your roommate. Maybe it's somebody who's here in your own cell group. Maybe because that cell group person is kind of annoying and kind of weird, you've been thinking about switching your groups. Uh, I just want to be there with somebody that I get along with. Christian, you're failing to meet Christ's expectations. But you know, this is Mother's Day. I don't want to be down and out about everything. Uh, all right, sorry. Okay. Well, not sorry, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say. I want to encourage you, actually, because I, I've been in this church for one year now, and I've been benefited and loved on so much, and I thank you. And I know that some of you, and maybe even many of you, are genuinely trying. You're really sticking with it. That annoying person, that person who has hurt me, for sake of Jesus, you're doing it. And I want to tell you, don't give up. I know it's hard. But it says in verse 20, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God sees you and God counts it. God knows what you're doing and he's going to bring real transformation either in that person or yourself or both. And I know this because Apostle Peter who wrote this very letter was the hothead disciple right? He's the guy who jumped into the water and needed a miraculous rescuing. 
He's the guy who cut off somebody's ear, supposedly protecting Jesus from getting arrested. But he's this guy who's writing us this letter of long suffering, enduring persecution. And I know the transformation in his life is real. And I trust that it would be real in your life and my life too. So be encouraged, church. God is looking at you. God is with you. He's the God who loves his enemies. And when you love his enemies or when you love your enemies, God counts it as grace. A couple weeks ago, um, I was watching the uh, Academy Awards. And um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Minari. Uh, I didn't watch it because I, I can't. You know, I, I, I actually really have a lot of drama in my life, so I, I can't, okay? I, I, I only watch Disney movies, okay? Because they all end well, all right? Like Tangled, you know, Lion King, Little Mermaid, you know, all awesome, okay? All same stories, but all amazing. Um, so I don't watch Minari because I don't want to get wrecked. Uh, but I did watch the Academy Awards and I saw Yeo Jung Yoon, uh, who is a Korean actress who won the Best Supporting Actress. And I was very proud as somebody of Korean heritage. And I was more proud when she started to uh, give her speech, her acceptance speech. And she's so funny, you know, graceful. And uh, one of the things that stood out to me was when she said, this is the result of mommy working so hard. And I was like, oh, look at that. Like, she's a mom. Like, that's so great. You know, like, awesome, right? Like, I'm clapping by myself, you know, in my room. And then suddenly, I felt so fake. Because here I am celebrating a random person that I don't even know as a mom, working so hard and accomplishing so much. And I know that in my heart of hearts that I'm unable to love my own mom as I would want to in my mind. And, you know, when I examine... Actually, what, what I do as a pastor, you know, I, I stand here at times and I get to speak to you and, you know, God bless you because so many of you come up to me, you know, every time and say, hey, like, thank you for that, you know, and I feel encouraged. I really do. And my students, you know, my college students, I make videos for them sometimes. I, I reach out to them and they, they tell me like, oh, thank you, pastor, or they trust me with their life issues, um, you know, they, they think that I'm some sort of a wise leader in their lives. But the reality actually is that I'm just somebody with a shallow amount of love. I'm so quick to hate on and be resentful towards and be frustrated at people who have hurt me. And that's the standard of God. Enemy love. And I think for you, humbly speaking, it's the same. I've seen many of you serve the church so faithfully Give so generously, saying nice things, working hard without any credit. And that's all wonderful, of course. But the hallmark of Christian discipleship, the one distinguishing thing about following Jesus is none other than love and specifically loving enemies. I want to read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is the great love passage, right? First Corinthians chapter 13. Let me just read for you in the beginning few verses. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and, and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith 
so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, not, but have not love, I gain nothing. I think we all know, many of us anyway, we know, right, when we compare physical things, accomplishments, relationships, success, status, job titles, bank account balance, how amazing our kids are, what kind of schools we went to, how many degrees we have, what type of cars we drive, what our zip code is, and how many rooms our houses have, how tall we are, how popular we are. When we think about that, I think we know, it's easy for us to know that, oh yeah, enemy love is greater than that. But I think so often what we miss is this. Enemy love is so much of a one distinguishing factor of following Jesus that it doesn't matter if you have prophetic powers. It doesn't matter if you have spiritual ability. It doesn't matter if you have so much faith that your faith can move mountains. It doesn't matter. It means nothing. It doesn't matter if you're spiritually mature. It doesn't matter if you're spiritually wise, that you're a kind and generous person. It matters nothing. It doesn't mean anything. The only thing that matters in Christian discipleship is loving your enemies, loving the people who are difficult to you, loving those who have caused you problems and suffering through it because Christ has done exactly that for you and I. And what better example that many of us are given in our lives than our mothers who endure hardship and suffering and disrespect and frustration from sons like me every day. God bless our mothers. But church, please, let us not love shallowly. Let's not love just for the sake of the examples that we have in our lives, but love for the sake of Jesus Christ who has suffered for us. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before you and we confess that our love is so shallow. And this Mother's Day, we thank you for our moms, people of great strength and deep love. And I know even them, they are not perfect, but we thank you for an example, a primary and practical example that you have placed in many of our lives to strive after for the sake of love. And God, I lift up those that are among us who have lost their moms recently or whose moms are frailing or those who may have never met their moms for difficult reasons and those that are desperately wanting to be moms but unable to do so. God, I pray that your personal and special grace would be upon their hearts and help us here at Living Hope to be a church that loves our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, for that is the, the way that you have loved us, God. We were your enemies, but because we were your enemies, you have sent us your son, Jesus. So help us to do the same. And we pray in your name.
Amen.